Travel can be scary, right? You board a plane, hop in a car, and suddenly you're in a world far removed from the one you know. Some of us never overcome that fear of the unknown. We allow it to harbor us, safeguard us, or keep us in a cage. But not today's guest, a small town girl from Nebraska that not long ago found herself surfing the big breaks of a Central American country that many Americans have been taught to fear, Nicaragua. Hey everybody, it's your host Joe Sills. Quick note on today's programming. Uh, Today's audio is going to sound a little bit different than you're used to because we were experimenting with a new way to record. So just bear in mind that there's a few technical difficulties that we had to work around. Thank you. Welcome to the Get Lost Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Joe Sills. I'm a freelance travel writer and explorer. Today's guest is a surfer, model, a podcaster, a world traveler, and an entrepreneur. She's the self-described curious introvert, and she's the host of the Meredith For Real podcast, which you can catch on just about any streaming service worldwide. But today, it's her turn to be on the other side of the microphone, Meredith For Real. Welcome to the Get Lost podcast. Thank you. You are most welcome. Thank you for joining us. Well, uh, how, I don't know about you, but um, today is a pretty good day here in Pensacola, Florida. How are things over there? Uh, Memphis is having our one week of fall, so it's really, really nice. Uh, I'm attempting to get out on every patio that I can and just have a beer and kind of get around town safely as much as possible, you know? Well, that's a really good ambition. I like that. Reach every patio, have a beer. Yeah. Hey, so you are in Pensacola, and you were just in a hurricane. What the hell? I know. It was crazy. It was my first hurricane. I grew up in Nebraska, so I'm not really accustomed to the hurricane thing. And uh, it was thankfully just a Cat 2, but it was almost a Cat 3 when it hit. It was supposed to go to Biloxi. And then, as my husband likes to say, it was like, oh, missed my turn. And it, like, turned right towards us. And and hit us. So some people lost a lot. I, we just had a lot of tree damage, but thankfully no damage to the house, but it was, um, five days without power. Thankfully we had water though. So it was basically just like camping. So Mm -hmm. I ate a lot of Oreos and I drank a lot of Tito's. Yeah. I mean, what do you, do you just drink vodka? (laughs) (laughs) This is it. So you didn't get flooded though. No, no. Thankfully, where we live is pretty floodproof. So it was mostly just an Oreo Tito's diet for a week and uh, yard work and uh, 
kind of, you know, there's no electricity, obviously. So you just wake up when the sun comes up and then you go to bed really early when the sun goes down and then you wake up and do yard work and drink and eat. That's it. How did that cycle affect you when the electricity comes back and you're sort of back to what was your normal routine? Are you adjusting or are you still going to sleep when the sun goes down? Oh, well, the power came on. I was so excited, but I already had drank some vodka (laughs) and I was that the electricity came back I immediately fell asleep like it was in the it was like three o'clock in the afternoon electricity's back yay and then it was like I was so relieved I just fell asleep um but (laughs) then I have resumed a normal sleep schedule from a person who has electricity so I've come back to the modern age And, and what about your show did the hurricane throw off your recording schedule it threw off my booking schedule. I normally am very on top of like scheduling people for the days that I record. But as far as putting out episodes, thankfully, no. So, and I have a really great team of people that help me with the audio and the video. And uh, we were able to make it happen. So only the YouTube video went on like a day late. But other than that, everything was on schedule. So it wasn't too bad. But um, my next batch of guests that I have set to record are all video chat because I didn't feel like it was appropriate to ask people who are still having major hurricane cleanup, hey, do you want to come and be on my show? So that's those are just small changes, but nothing too bad. Yeah. Hey, do you want to come hang out for my podcast while you're in the midst of turmoil? I know you're homeless and all, but I really could use an expert in this area. So let's talk a little about your show because I think my listeners actually be really into it. Um, this is sort of a, a cabinet of curiosities, not that podcast, but it really is a cabinet of curiosities because you're, you're interviewing the most crazy people and often in person uh, about life and, and insane I mean, there's, there's like a girl that comes on who is an explorer and that's kind of up my alley. There's a guy that does the gay porn. That's really fascinating. I mean, what, how do you decide who comes on the show? It's honestly, first and foremost, whatever interests me. So if it piques my curiosity and I'm interested in it, then it's in my book eligible to be a part of the show. And then second of all, I love to introduce new topics or new people to my audience because when you think about the normal person, how they, you know, their alarm goes off, they hit the alarm, they hit the snooze, they go to work, wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. They're probably even driving in the same route every single day. Yes meeting the same people every single day you know they don't have always the opportunity to meet new people and especially meet new people outside of what I call the thought circle you know your opinions and your beliefs and all of that and right lifestyle so I think it's cool when you can do that virtually and expose yourself to new ideas and new ways of thinking and new experiences. Cause sometimes you don't even realize like, Oh, I'm interested in that. Right. Right. It adds value to people who listen to the show, or at least I hope it does because that's something that's important to me is, is reaching out and finding new people and new experiences because you only life is really finite, you know, and before you know it, you've lived a whole life of wash, rinse, repeat. And I just think that's a huge bummer. So if I can help people at least get outside of that in a virtual way, then I think that's good. 
So do you feel like you yourself were in a wash, rinse, repeat cycle of life for a while? Um, yeah, I probably in some ways was. Um, does that motivate you to tell these stories? It does. I, I think what what sparked the idea to tell these stories was when I was in sales, I would meet new people all the time, like 15 to 30 new people every single month. And more than making the sale or reaching a goal, I loved hearing about their lives. And we would sit at the kitchen table together and, and they would just unload all of their of things that were important to them and their experiences. And we would talk about the different things that were decorating the walls in the kitchen and the living room. And I really got to know them. And I, I just thought, wow, other people don't get to do this. And when I started listening to podcasts, especially the interview based ones, I realized that that was in a way what I was doing. And wouldn't it be cool if I could create, make something creative, make something new out of that. And at the same time, I felt that season of sales kind of coming to a close. So it just felt right to move in that direction. To open a new chapter, what advice would you give somebody as a podcaster who's, you've got your feet wet, you've been doing this about a year, am I right? Yes, it'll be a year in November. Okay, so you're coming up on your birthday, congrats. Um, what advice would you give a listener who says, Hey, I, I really like this show. Joe's a terrible host. I can do better than him. Um, how does, how do they start a podcast? Well, the tech part I'm a little lost on. So I think the, you know, that part I can't really speak to in great detail, but the, the part that is kind of leading yourself that I can speak to. And so I would say, first of all, know your motivation. Like, what are your goals? What do you want out of it? Why are you doing it? If, and just for fun is a legit answer, by the way, it's okay to do things just for fun. Right. You're allowed to have fun in America. Turns out. Turns out fun is actually pretty damn important. And then second of all, figure out uh, what would keep you from doing the thing. And for a lot of people, I think perfectionism is <laughs> kind of up there in the top three. Yeah. And I knew it was for me too. And so when you can figure those two things out, that, that can literally guide every other decision and timeline that you have surrounding any project, but definitely podcasting. And so knowing that that perfectionism and professional overthinking is part of my issues. I, uh, I hiring people to help me with the tech part, created a very real deadline for me to like shit or get off the pot. And so that was super helpful for um, spurring, giving sense of urgency to the, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Kind yeah. Of yeah. I think for me, I struggled with that as well. And honestly, with this show, particularly, we do so much post editing and we had to add all these sound effects and really take you on a journey. But when I have four or five shows recorded, and I haven't mixed them yet, it feels overwhelming to look at it and say, oh shit, I have to take people into Africa this week and I have all these deadlines. And, but the thing about it is you have to have that why. Yeah. So I agree with you. I mean, for me, the why was simply, as a writer, I was having a really hard time selling stories that I thought had depth and meaning. I mean, if it was 
a listicle, an outlet would buy it immediately. But you can't put your heart and soul into that. And that's why this show exists. And I think that's so cool. And when I first heard your show, I just was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm watching, I'm listening to the Travel Channel. And I immediately was like, this is the coolest. I was, you know, I just totally get it. And especially now that traveling is at best super limited. Yeah. Traveling is what we got. Yeah, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Mind traveling is what we're all about. And today, I want to talk to you about a trip that you went on that has had an impact on your perception of the world and your life. And it's to a place that I think if most Americans are familiar with it, they only know about drug money and dudes in camouflage and the of something to do with Ronald Reagan a long time ago. We don't, we don't even really know what we're talking about. And the country is Nicaragua, but you went there. Why don't you take us on a journey to Nicaragua? I'm so glad. I'm so happy to talk about Nicaragua because it is, it's, it was full of surprises and it'll be in my heart forever. There were so many examples of things not being as they initially appeared. And that okay. be the theme of the whole trip. So it started when my husband and I got out of debt. We paid off over $43,000 in three years. We were so excited. Woohoo, debt free. So what do we immediately do? Buy plane tickets. <laughs> yeah, spend more money. More money, cash money though. So it's okay. But um, Wait, you're going to Nicaragua with cash money? This is already suspicious. Oh, we had like... Um, I think like three grand in smallish bills on our person. Oh, all right, this is perfect. So, all right, you get on a plane. Where do you get on the plane? Well, we flew from, well, actually let me back up just a little bit. I was scared of Nicaragua. My husband was like, we need to go to Nicaragua. One day I went surfing on Pensacola beach and one of my surf acquaintances was like, what's up, Meredith? Good to see you. I'm getting married in Nicaragua. I would love for you and your husband to come. So I said, well, this is perfect because we'll have all these Pensacola people there, right? So that brings a level. Everyone has a threshold of certainty and uncertainty, right? So that gave me increased certainty, which made me say yes to the trip. That's the whole reason I said yes to the trip was because we're going to go. There's going to be all these people there we know. And it turns out a lot of the as a wedding guest, one of the perks was everything was included. So okay, it was easy. I found out through the grapevine two weeks before we were set to leave that they broke up and there was no wedding. Oh my God, this is amazing. So you've already booked this all-inclusive. Is it a resort or? I think it was a resort and... It, it was, yeah, it was kind of a resorty situation. And because it was all inclusive and taken care of, we had even extended our trip to cross the border into Costa Rica and do all this other stuff because we're, it was so economical and so easy. Well, then I had to replan the whole trip two weeks before we were set to leave. So we're looking up places to go and just using Google and we find... Um, a surf hostel and we end up booking that. So back to where we get on the plane. We get on the plane from Pensacola and we fly to 
Managua, and then we take a taxi from Managua to Popoyo, where we go to the surf hostel. Okay. And even on the drive from the airport to the hostel, one of the things that wasn't as it seemed was the taxi driver. Um, I asked if I could sit in the front seat because I didn't want to get car sick, and I was pretty excited to speak to somebody in Spanish. And uh, so I, you know, pop my, open up the door and just picture me, blonde, fair, blue skin, or blue skin, blue, blue skin. And Sorry, <laughs> Meredith is actually a Smurf. I forgot to tell you, it's sort of important. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, hola, like super extra. But he, he clears the seat and lets me sit down. We start talking and I fully anticipate him not to like Americans. That's what I thought. I thought none of them would like us because we were American. Yeah, and we funneled weapons to their country to just, uh, ferment civil unrest for a while. Just for a minute, yeah. Yeah, but honestly, what country haven't we done that to? Excellent point, excellent yeah. point. So we're driving, we're talking, and I ask him, what do you think of Americans? And, and he said, um, honestly, I, I like you. Um, I like when you're curious and you ask questions and you care about, you know, my life that you don't just sit in the back seat and don't speak to me the whole time. Because it was a three-hour drive from Managua to Papoyo. What are the road conditions like? They weren't too bad. Yeah. So you're just on like a highway going through the the jungle. Um. You know, it wasn't jungly um, because we we're going from Managua which is the capital city mm -hmm. uh, it was it was more like picture small town dusty roads um, lots of people on the sides of the highways um, political billboards on the left and right with my husband kind of glance at each other as we pass them and he gives me the eye don't say anything <laughs> don't talk about politics and uh, and we, yeah, we stopped uh, by a roadside stand to get some Coke and some water. And, uh, but mostly it was, it was compared to the roads we've been on in Costa Rica, it was not bad infrastructure. Excellent. That's good to know. You can always tell a lot about country by what the road situation is like, especially when you're outside of the capital city. That's always one of the first impressions that I'm just so curious about is, you know, what are these road conditions? Because, you know, if you go down to, um, I'm in Tennessee and you're in Florida, so fair wager we've both been in Louisiana, for instance. Their roads are basically made out of dead alligators. Basically. They're, re they're really bumpy, they're really bad, and you, you wonder, like, man, what is, what the hell is going on here? You really do. <laughs> so, <laughs> about Louisiana, you're like, where? Is the money? Where is it? Yeah, it, well, it's all at the bar in New Orleans. It's thick. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, you're in Nicaragua and and you're going through these small towns and you're headed for a surf hostel, which is sounds extremely cool. You know, it was extremely cool. We we pulled up and there's this um, white building with yellow trimmed windows and a thatched roof colorful hammocks hanging all around and it's really small there's only three rooms in the hostel the whole hostel and we picked thank god the perfect place because it was like a hostel for 30 year olds 
and because a lot of so this street it was actually Playa um, Guasacaste um, so it was just like this little street of hostels and restaurants and a surf shop basically okay and uh, there, there just wasn't a lot there um, so when we pulled up uh, oh, so I was saying, so there's uh, all the other hostels, they were like the rowdy 20-year-olds, and we just picked the, the right hostel for us. The grown-ups hostel. Basically. It also happened to be the major hangout for the, the surf local surf kids. And I say kids, they were like 20 years old. So it was perfect place for us to hang out because it was like very local vibe. Um, and it as it unfolded in the first few days there was like a cast of characters around this hostel and around the street there was the whole hostel was owned by an italian man who was married to a Nicaraguan woman who speaks like five languages and then in one room was us and the other room was a couple she was from amsterdam he was from germany and they were a graphic designer and a phd chemist and then That's the other- exactly the couple from Amsterdam in Germany. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, then actually that's another example of things not being as they seemed at first because I thought she didn't like me at first and I kept trying to like make her my friend. <laughs> that makes me sound psychotic, but I kept trying to, you know, encourage, I saw her in the lineup and I would, you know, cheer for her when she caught a wave and I would see her at breakfast and say hello and and she she just seemed to ignore me all the time right and I don't I guess I ignorantly assumed that she would be she would speak English um and it turns out she did speak English I'm not really sure why she ignored me for so many days but we're we're good friends now and she ended up doing the um, are you I bet you are damn it we're good friends uh she ended up doing the artwork for my podcast so uh yeah so so there were uh, that couple and then in the other room there was an italian guy named mateo who didn't speak any english or spanish which was made communicating with him very interesting so if you just sing to him you know italians respond to that maybe Well, Google Translate was really helpful, actually. So, in fact, one night, um, you know, this is maybe we stayed there about a week. This was at the towards the end of the trip. You know, we had made friends with the uh, the 20-ish something uh, surf instructor who is always got a uh, blonde lady tourist with him, Hector, and uh, and and his crew. I'll call them, but they're just okay. a great guys a 20 year old guy surfers just living the life smoking weed out of seashells and one night we Garrett my husband bought the biggest bottle of rum that was available at the market and he said he slammed it down in the middle of the table and he said come on everyone let's have a drink and we had Mateo the Italian guy who didn't speak any English or Spanish the uh, Amsterdam Germany couple and then all the Nicaraguan boys all around it was like freaking United Nations and we all found cups and uh, had uh, Cuba Libre and uh, we took turns picking songs from our phones and uh, it turns out they really like Selena there which is great because 
I love Selena. All right, so you're in your element. Oh, let me tell you. So we all got obviously drunk and we were like, bitty, bitty, bum, bum. And I was like, this is it. This is how we get world peace right here. Rum and Selena. That is actually how we get world peace. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. Once you find that connection, um, tell me, uh, first of all, I want to know how do you smoke weed out of a seashell? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, so it's this, it's a, you know what an auger, do you know your seashells, do you know your seashells, Joe? It's an auger, it's like a spiral, looks like a unicorn horn. Oh, those ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know those. If you're, they have them in Florida a lot if you walk on the beach, sir. Yes. Yeah. They're usually tiny, uh, augers. Um, but in Nicaragua, they're as big as your finger, long as your finger. All right. And you have, if there's like a tiny hole in the side, then it just makes the air go through just right that you can pack one side with them. I didn't, I witnessed it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This is nature's pipe just on the beach. Uh, it totally was nature's pipe on the beach. And we were so freaking impressed um, by that. It was so cool. That's amazing. So, and I'm assuming you're on the Pacific coast of Nicaragua right now. Correct, yes. All right, so eventually I assume you do get in the water and, and you go surfing. Tell us about the breaks there. What's it like? Oh, it's beautiful. The room that we booked at the hostel was facing the ocean. So literally you can see the thatched roof, like the pieces hanging over in when you're looking through the window and you open your door and you can just hear the Pacific Ocean and then there's a random horse in front of your door that doesn't apparently belong to anyone that's just grazing on grass which made it even more authentic somehow we're like um excuse me whose horse is this no one's it's just there ignore it what a it's weird place what a really trippy experience this sounds like it was so bizarre and so literally, you would just walk down this path and the water is right there, right there. And there's a break right in front of the path. And uh, some left, some right. It's really close to the shore. It was really fun to take our long, like our longer boards out on that break on smaller days. But then if you walked uh, left of the hostel down, let me like, 15 minutes, there was a bigger break. And that is where all the local boys would love to surf, and for good reason. It was incredible. When you got to the surf spot, you had to walk out in a certain spot because it was totally rocky and super sketch, like super slippery. And so Hector, you know, the one that likes the blonde lady tourists. Right, yeah. He I'm sure he's excited to show you where the break is. Yeah, he sure was. Um, super sweet kid. And uh, he, he actually, he only had like a sixth grade education, but he spoke Portuguese, English, Spanish. He spoke all these languages that he would just learn from speaking to tourists. Uh, that's amazing. He, he's a really very, and so tenderhearted. And so I tease him about, you know, all his blonde ladies, but he really is a nice guy. So he um, would show my husband and I like where to go and would help us paddle out. And um, 
I was so intimidated by the waves because in Pensacola, they're just so different. And even though Pensacola surfers are good, great surfers because our conditions are so erratic that a lot of us can surf in any conditions, um, but it was just, you know, a new place. But right. when we, we got out there uh, and, and caught the waves, man, they were so powerful. And it was just such a great feeling. And the vibe was great too. I'm big on like how the vibe is in the lineup. And for whatever reason, maybe it was because I was with Hector or maybe it's just that way. But everyone in the lineup was so cool. And they would, you know, you, you, every time you caught a wave. And actually there was this one guy, his name was Rafa. And he pictured like a, a like a, kind of a chubby guy with an open Hawaiian shirt and he kind of <laughs> floppy with his like he, his arm would just flap when he walked and yeah. he kind of walked as though he were listening to reggae music all the time <laughs> okay he probably had a pocket full of seashells you know I would that wouldn't surprise me in the lineup he would yell random food and so catch wave and go, taco, enchilada. He was freaking hilarious. And so that was the kind of vibe in, in the lineup was just fun and comedy. And and, uh, and then I remember sitting out there one day and we were waiting for a set to come in and Rafa was sitting talking with some of his friends. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I could see that they were looking over at me. And then he looks over at me, and he looks back to his friends and says in Spanish, whoa, you know, she speaks Spanish, right? <laughs> so, oh. And, and so then we became friends and uh, caught some waves and uh, drank some Tonia. It was just really good. That's that's the beer there. They call whenever it's time to drink, it's Tonia time. Tonia time. That makes sense. I love that in every country, especially in Central America. I just feel like it's it's such an underrated destination for chilling out and, you know, relaxed culture, um, getting away from the uptight kind of corporate grind that even non-corporate people like you and I seem to somehow subject ourselves to. And I think as, um, um, it might be an American thing. I think we're afraid of being bored. Yes. And somehow, um, allowing ourselves to get a little bored, ourselves being my husband and I, that has become our travel style. Everyone develops a travel style. And, and although we haven't gone as many places as we would like to yet, I think that's our travel style is show up to a place, don't have too much planned, embrace some boredom and see what happens. And so many magical things happen when you just kind of let go of having to have your schedule packed you know it because i think you absorb more of the culture you absorb more of the vibe of wherever you're at when you are still enough to actually see it and let it see you and it's i think that's how these places just get into my heart and i cry every time i have to leave <laughs> it sucks <laughs> so as you're in the taxi headed back to Managua after your surf adventure in Nicaragua, you're crying and <laughs> I am. That's true. How 
Did your impression of the country before you left differ from the reality you found? Well, it was, it was a lot. I felt safe. I felt so safe. I, I never felt like my shit was going to get stolen. I never felt, I just felt cared for. I felt really welcomed. I would even say accepted. In fact, I, we were so integrated within days to this community of uh, the street of this place. Yeah. Got tied up in some local drama. Um, Go on. But then it got resolved and it was fine, but. Did you cancel another wedding? I did not. I did not cancel another wedding. No, um, I had rented a board from the guy that owned the shop across the street from the hostel. And he wasn't there when I rented it and his girlfriend was, and I was so comfortable. I didn't do my normal thing where I take pictures of it to show, okay, this ding was already here, et cetera. And, um, and I brought it back and he was angry that it was all dinged up. And I mean, it was a piece of shit. Like (laughs) there, there was all, there was very few quote unquote longboards there. Uh of them looked like they had been drugged behind a truck so i was really confused like bro this is what it looked like before and he couldn't verify it because it was his girlfriend that rented it to me well and he was just so angry oh he was french by the way so he was cussing at me in french and then switching to italian briefly before going to spanish and then english i'm not sure if it's because he didn't know which language i spoke and he was just covering all of his bases right it's just like a radio station trying to find a, you know, a channel in his head, and, and it just got. <laughs> That's but, a hilarious visual. It's just irate Frenchman just cussing in every language he knows. And yeah, it was really, it was so not deserving of the situation that it kind of made me think something else is going on here. This is not about me, you know. But then, um, you know, five o'clock or whatever comes around, whatever the Nicaragua version of five o'clock is. So. Time to go surf. And so this is like a small town. So guess what? We're all in the lineup together. So we just had this big blowout and now we're all surfing together. And I'm like thinking, I'm gonna be so nice to this dude and his girlfriend and just see what happens. Okay. So we're in the lineup and I'm like telling her, Yeah, you catch that wave, you know, and then oh nice wave, you know, and you can tell she's just painfully feeling the awkwardness but no one doesn't surf so we're all gonna stay there no one's leaving because it's awkward and he's even in the water and not making eye contact with me anyway so then we all surf we all go home the next day I find out he had a terrible uh tooth cavity so he had a a toothache and that's why he was so pissy oh huh who would have thought yeah so then when I went back uh, later that next day, he and or maybe it was the day after, I don't know, but he had gotten taken care of, and he gave me some version of an apology, which was nice. And he was like, you know, I have this toothache, you know, y'all, you know, don't worry about it. it you, this board's a piece of shit, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we were good. The point was, we were good. So that was another example of like things weren't as they seemed, um, but also an example of like it was you're so accepted or we were so accepted in that week's stay 
that we were not only a part of local drama, but also the reconciliation and the hugs afterwards. That's insane. You were there a week, but that's what you, you talked about kind of staying until you get bored. I think a lot of people might book that surf hostel for two or three days and then they'd go on about their way. But you stayed there a week. Did you go anywhere else in the country or was that kind of it? Nicaragua, no, except for when we went to go cross the border to Costa Rica. So we didn't, um, we didn't go back to Managua again. We um, went down through the border uh, to extend our trip into Costa Rica to um, Nasara and then into the mountains. So uh, yeah, the only other places we saw were other, um, other small towns, but the guy that drove us from uh, the surf hostel to the next place, uh, he was, a, it was Jose at first, the first guy that drove us, but then it was like a, you know, a handoff to another driver. Right. And, uh, and in that handoff, it was just interesting because that was another example of just being taken care of and being accepted is someone came up to the car while we were waiting to meet the next driver and Jose was like, hmm, I'm not too sure about this guy. I'm going to go check it out. And he's like, nope, stay in the car. And he just like made sure we were good. He didn't just like want our money and then he did his job and he left. Like he genuinely wanted to make sure we were okay. And that is one thing that I didn't expect when going to Nicaragua. I, I expected, you know, to have maybe people want to take advantage of us or maybe it was the $3,000 cash we decided to travel with. Yeah, also that, you're kind of like a walking piggy bank. But nobody knew that, you know? So, yeah. I mean, that's true. I, I don't know, I feel, I don't know how I feel about traveling with large sums of cash. You kind of inherently end up doing that, it seems like, yeah. because you need currency that's from this country or that country and this is a little different in Europe or something but Europe. when yeah when you're out in in what I would call like real exploration territory <laughs> um, then you do usually have like weird random denominations of some colorful paper or coin and you're not even really sure what, what it is when you go to pay for things I, I'm always takes me a minute to count what it is and stuff like that you can be very vulnerable as a traveler in that situation oh yeah yeah i'm not good necessarily with numbers in my native language in spanish i, I struggle um so i want to talk to you a little bit more about surfing because you mentioned you live in pensacola i know you're from nebraska um, you may be the most prominent surfer from nebraska i'm not sure <laughs> Why surfing? How did you get into that world? Well, um, I, I've always been attracted to the, the ocean. And really when I say ocean, in my mind's eye, what I mean is the Gulf of Mexico because my family is from North Florida. And so I, ever since I was a baby, have been coming from Nebraska to the Florida Panhandle and been in the, the water here. And for those that don't know, the water here is 
teal and emerald and in the winter when all the algae dies imagine blue green jello because that's what it looks like it's so clear and sparkly and gorgeous and when you when we have good surf it's just freaking magical especially this time of year october you're in the surf the algae starting to die if the water's getting cooler and the monarch butterflies are migrating to mexico and you're literally sitting on your longboard in this beautiful crystal clear water and butterflies land on your shoulder it's like you're basically snow white this is so different from the florida panhandle i know as somebody within a day's drive that goes down when it's warm or it's spring break and it's panama city spring break or pensacola beach crowded in the summertime um i've never seen this version of Florida. So now I'm very curious. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the version that you have to be here a lot to catch because even growing up I wasn't allowed necessarily to go to the beach when there were big waves cuz you know, my parents were trying to be safe and prevent us from getting pulled out by the riptide and and all that. And we certainly weren't allowed to go past the second sandbar, which is um was where a lot of the great waves are. Now the hurricanes have made sandbars um, basically a Where's Waldo game now, but it's it's uh, something that you have to be here a lot. To, even if you live here, it's it's sometimes hard to catch the right surf conditions. But when you do, it just it captures you. So when you're out there and you're on your board, you're just kind of waiting for the right wave. How connected do you feel to the water in a way that you don't get from the beach? Oh, it's it's amazing. You feel like, okay, so from somebody who grew up in Nebraska where there's snow, imagine, and you have snow, so you know this, it snows overnight. You wake up, you open the door, and everything is like muffled and quiet. Yeah. When you're out there surfing, especially around this time of year, it's just so quiet. The tourists are gone and you just feel so at peace and there's no phones, there's no smartwatches going off and you just feel so centered and happy and renewed even if you're only out there for 30 minutes, it's like no drug that you can find. It's incredible. And it's fascinating how that from Pensacola Beach takes you all the way to Nicaragua, to the Pacific Ocean, and you're doing the same thing. And <laughs> there's a jelly guy in a Hawaiian shirt yelling enchilada at you. <laughs> exactly. What I loved so dearly about that other than it, it was obviously hysterical is that on on most days when I've gone surfing in Pensacola there's a playfulness that goes along with the surf there's a euphoria because it's not always great conditions so when it is people are so happy and when there's wave after wave which again doesn't always happen there's no aggro vibe like yeah get it woo woo you know people cheering other people on and just a silliness and a playfulness and a creativity even that comes out when you catch the wave and I saw that same thing 
at that break in Popoyo. And I just, it made me feel just so ultra connected to it because I felt like, all right, these, these folks here, they get me, they get what I love about waves and what I love about surfing, what I love about the beach that even a not so good day is never a bad day at the beach. So what would you say to somebody who wants to take their hobby from their backyard to a far flung corner of the world and maybe they're afraid to? I would say figure out what your threshold of certainty versus uncertainty is and make it work for you. You don't have to, you know, go way outside of your comfort zone and and just to do it. There's a way to do it that is right at the border of where you're almost uncomfortable. And I think that is the sweet spot of travel. Yeah. Sorry, I was just I'm just thinking about I was mountain biking in uh, Australia and I had that same like I was I was on this very very steep vertical downhill on in um, the rainforest of Queensland it's called the bump track and it was like a mine road or something way back in the day and the guides like right mate we're gonna go down this bump track no big deal and (laughs) I swear to god it was like the steepest shit I've ever been on in my life and you're you're almost because when you're mountain biking you go downhill you have to lean back I yeah. mean, my butt was like over the back of my tire trying to keep from falling. Why and that, that was the edge of my comfort zone. I found it there. <laughs> I found it on the bump track. I can't I've, even Australian accent. Bump but, track, yeah. I found it there and uh, on this bump track that's surrounded by vines that will grab you and rip your skin off. And at the bottom is like a beach with saltwater crocodiles. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You have to, if you have a hobby you enjoy, whether it's fishing, surfing, birding, biking, yeah, whatever, I think people overlook that you can actually take that around the world. And usually you can rent the gear you need for cheap. You don't have to bring all your shit with you. Um, and for someone like me who values the, the people part of traveling so much, you know, as an introvert, I love to hole up in my hostel and and just recharge. But the the part of me that's curious, I want to know about the lives of the people around me. And what's so cool about taking your hobby from where you're at, whatever country that is, to another place, is that you will automatically have something in common with the people that you meet. And it gives you that icebreaker to get to know them and know about their lives and what they're about and what they love. And, you know, when you leave the hostel, dude, like, where do you go? You know, and it's just, it's an automatic friend maker. Yeah, totally. Well, Meredith, thank you for sharing your Nicaragua experience. What's next for the Meredith for real podcast? Oh, we've got a lot of things coming up. Um, I'm going to do a mental health uh, series coming up for the holidays because uh, we're all going to need it. (laughs) Yeah, that's smart. Uh, But I also have a cult psychologist coming on the show, um, an Instagram expert that's going to help us uh, tell us how to run our businesses without becoming uh, 
addicted to social media. Um, and I've got uh, a woman doing a culture comparison from India to the United States. Lots of fun stuff. I love that. We'll keep an eye out for it. Everybody need to go follow Meredith on Instagram at Meredith for real. And that's probably the best way to keep up with her show. I'd have to guess, um, or you can go to her website. So, uh, we will keep an eye out for you, Meredith. And thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. The Get Lost Podcast is a production of the Sold Outside Exploration Company. Visit us on Instagram at Get Lost Podcast or hey, check it out. We've got a new website, getlostpod.com.